there, this is Laren Baker and welcome to the Kitchen Confidant Podcast. Today we're chatting with Susan Gravely. Susan is the founder and CEO of Vietri, a lifestyle brand offering handcrafted Italian tabletop and home and garden accessories. Her love for hand-painted dinnerware started after a trip to the Amalfi Coast with her mother and sister. That was in 1983, and when they returned home, they built Vietri to share this beautiful craft. Vietri has since grown to become the largest importer of Italian ceramics in the U.S., and to celebrate the company's 40th anniversary, Susan has written a memoir and cookbook, Italy on a Plate, Travels, Memories, Menus. I am so excited to welcome Susan to the podcast. Hello. Hello, Liren. Thank you for having me. I am so pleased to finally meet you. I was telling you before that... I'm already a huge fan of Vietri and that I have some well-loved pieces in my small collection, but the dinnerware just always makes me smile. So it's so nice to chat with you. I actually always start by asking, what's the first thing you ever cooked and about how old were you? I probably was five or six years old and it would have been uh, Toll House chocolate chip cookies with my mother. The classic. <laughs> the classic. I, I grew up in a Southern home and we always had chocolate chip cookies around. And, and I remember that we would try them sometimes with margarine and sometimes with butter. And I think we always loved the butter better. Uh, yes. I have to say butter makes everything better. So I agree. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Could you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and that very first trip to the Amalfi Coast and your first encounter with Italian ceramics? Well, it was a, a serendipitous trip. My father and mother had planned the trip, and then my father had a sudden heart attack and died at 60. Mm -hmm. He was an international business gentleman, and we had had foreigners in our home forever, and Italy was one of his favorite places with the most favorite people he worked with. So when he was unable to go, two years later, Mama called my sister, who had just had her second child, and me. I was in New York at the time, and off we went on this incredible memory lane trip honoring my father and Mama and their marriage and his journey in life, and there we were. So we went to Rome, and then we went down to the Amalfi Coast and stayed at the unimaginably beautiful hotel called Il San Pietro. Mama had saved an article that had either been in Gourmet or Bon Appetit, because she always got both of them, and wanted to go to this hotel. And when we arrived and went down the mountain and opened the elevator doors into this splendid cave-like living room overlooking the sea, we walked through the living room and there in the open dining room was bougainvillea on the ceiling and peach-colored tablecloths and a menagerie of ceramic plates, all different, but all in those Amalfi blues, oranges, yellows, reds, greens, and we fell in love. We had dinner that night and said, 
we need to hire a driver and go to that factory and learn more about them. And that was how it began. It sounds like you had an amazing trip. What a wonderful start to Vietri, especially because your mother was there. And I just have to touch upon her name and your father's name because they were both named Lee. And I love that you they were called She Lee and He Lee to differentiate. Yeah. It's that was hilarious. So I know. And so imagine the phone, you know, rings and we pick it up as children. It's, is He Lee there or is She Lee there? Um, so they didn't call themselves that, of course, but that's how their friends differentiated them. I have to ask, did they have special names for one another or did they just call each other Lee? You know, the only thing I can remember is my father calling my mother honey and my mother calling my father darling. And those would be classic Southern male and female love words. Oh, so I have to ask, what did you learn from your mother when it came to being a gracious hostess? <laughs> well, my mother was indeed a gracious hostess. And the things that I remember so well as a child is that manners were very important. You know, have your hands in your lap if you're not eating. Put your fork and knife and spoon in certain ways. But it was also about setting a table honoring the season in the flowers that were on the table, uh, inviting guests to your table, no matter who it was. We had, as I said earlier, so many foreigners in our home because of the tobacco season that the thrill for me when I was young was setting the table, uh, dressing up. They allowed me to be at the table and sit in when they were having drinks as long as I help serve drinks, help um, bring in the different types of tobacco they were trying, and not to say a word. So my nickname was Big Ears because once <laughs> dinner was over and I had to go to bed, I would fall asleep at the top of the stairs listening to their conversations so, you know, not only was it being gracious and asking questions and learning about others, but it was also about setting a table and presenting a warm environment and uh, celebrating around food. I love how setting the table is just a part of your story from childhood. And clearly you have an appreciation for what's on the table and and that must have, you know, been so exciting when you encountered the Italian ceramics for the first time. And can you tell everybody how you started your company and why you came to name it Vietri also? Liren, that is a, a, a wonderful story. We had no idea that we were um, going to create uh, and begin a company when we took on this family vacation. But we ended up spending five nights at the San Pietro in the Third or fourth night, we were having drinks with a couple from New York, the Carps, and we were excitedly telling them we had been to the factory and, you know, that we would, wanted to do something about the plates. And Mr. Carp, who was in clothing manufacturing in New York, said, well, I know what you need to do. You girls are clearly interested in design and a bigger palette in your life. You should um, 
wholesale and distribute. And we thought, well, let's figure that out. So that was the moment when we thought, okay, we're going to do something really exciting and do it together. The name came from the third day when we were driving back from Vietri Sulmari, where the um, first ceramics came from. The town had originally been called Vetro Sulmari, which meant glass on the sea because it was a glass blowing village. After the winds changed and, and uh, the transportation and business uh, end of their sea changed, the name changed to Vietri. And we looked at it and said, well, in Italian, Trois or Tres Vite means three lives, and in French, Trois Vies means three lives. So if we reverse the syllables, then there we are. That's what we're going to name it. And once people can pronounce the word, maybe they'll always remember it because it's so unique. So that is how we named the company, and that was how we began the company. I love the story, especially with the three of you and, and how it's perfectly reflected in the company name. What is the process like in terms of the designs? Do you, you know, do the artisans just create whatever they want? Or I know that sometimes you do collaborations. How does that typically work when you're, when you're sourcing the pieces? It's really interesting because it happens in lots and lots of different ways. We've worked with 25 or so factories for so many years because our belief is that once you establish a relationship, you try every way possible to keep building together because they those relationships become more and more rich. So for the for people we've been with a long time, we work 18 months, sometimes two years out, we'll be discussing trends, we'll discuss uh, subject matters that we're thinking are important, and we'll sketch ideas with the maestros, the, the mold makers or the painters uh, or the glaze creators, and we'll talk about different ideas, and then we'll be back sometimes three months later, sometimes earlier, and they'll say, come look, and they would have created something. Now today with, um, you know, communications being so easy, we'll do a lot and look at new designs online together. Uh, but from beginning of, of an original idea to the end is about 18 months. Hmm. A lot of times, because they know our look and our vision, they will create new things that are wonderful, that, has, that they do, that they um, come up with, and we'll go there, and they're ready. They're done. They're ready. All we'll do is tweak one thing or another or discuss the kind of clay or the colorations, and it happens much more quickly. We, we like to be able to be spontaneous. Of course, as a company, we have to work about a year in advance, but we always leave that 10% window of something new and fresh that come about. Uh, we now work in glass and flatware and linens and 
you know, the whole gamut, garden accessories, the whole gamut of handcrafted, mouth-blown products from Italy. So we're doing different things with different factories and then trying and working on looks so that we do create looks for introductions. Does that give you a feeling of what we do? Oh, absolutely. And I, I think it's so interesting too how I would say, of course, food is very regional in Italy. And you can tell too that the ceramics and tableware design can be regional as well. And um, But what really touches me the most is that the friendships you've made over the years yeah. are really reflected in your book. And so I was wondering if you could maybe tell everybody a bit about some of the friendships you've made over the years. Oh, well, you know, I love talking about that. The um, Being a Southerner, you know, we have a heritage of greeting people and welcoming people and feeling like, oh, we found a new friend. And then, you know, it takes about three, four times with it. Something's happened and we think, hmm, I'm maybe not going to spend so much time with that person. Maybe that's not a friend friend. But most of the time they are friends and friends for life. In Italy, the warmth that we feel initially meeting Italy's and the warmth in not only their environment and the way they live, but in their food is instantaneous. And you feel like, wow, there is a new friend. But for Italians, it takes time for them to want or to establish new friendships. And I will describe it as the three or four times we Southerners think they're friends. It's the three or four times Italians are testing you or having experiences with you before they will invite you to their table. And that is a sign of a special relationship that they invite you to eat at their home. And I can remember the Solimenis, the first factory in Beatrice Omari that we worked with. Don Vincenzo was the head and the only Don, as you can imagine that what that represents in all of the Amalfi Coast. And they were notoriously slow and late on getting us our product. So I flew over and was working in the factory, boxing up our pre-packs of four to get that product to, um, to on a boat. And I was working hard and there was, he came up and he said, Vieni, vieni con me, mangiamo, mangiamo, come with me. <laughs> and I followed and up to the top of the factory, a door opened and I was in their kitchen. And there was a table for about 20 people that he had 10 children and they all were there and an, an aunt, two aunts and the mother were cooking big pots of pasta and I was invited to sit at their table. And after that, the invitations came more often and that was a real true beginning of what an Italian friend and a uh, uh, relationship was with time that's happened with other people and and not only have they invited me but you know I've even been over there and said come you know come to the apartment I'm living in or 
let's go out for lunch together. And then finally, it would be being around their table. So relationships take time and honesty and value in uh, earnest uh, work and, and collegial relationships. And with having 40 years of, of this incredible journey I've been on, that's how these relationships have become part of my life. I've now gone to funerals and weddings and christening, baptisms, and um, I feel that many of them are brothers and sisters that we just have grown together in our business and in our family relationships. Yeah, it's like one huge extended family and a family with tons of recipes, which you share in this book. But I also like, I mean, obviously you've you've nurtured these relationships over the last 40 years, but it also sounded like in the very beginning, there was Tita Bosio, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, I, you know, as you saw in the book, I didn't name the chapters, the usual chapters of a cookbook. You know, I named them A Love Affair in Florence or Tuscan Hidden Treasures or Kindred Spirits, Venetian Vigor. Because I, I went through kind of in my head and on paper people throughout all of Italy or places that had had big impacts on my growth as a person and as a business person. But I kept going back to Tita. And the reason is that Tita was the first person Francis and I met in Florence. We threw someone we met on the airplane. We flew over on Alitalia because Frances wanted the complete Italian experience. And she went up to business class to use the bathroom and met this Italian gentleman who ended up coming down to where we were sitting, <laughs> gave us his card, was taken by this mother and two daughters and said, ah, when you're in Florence, call me. We would have never called him, but mama's pocketbook was stolen. Uh, and those were the days where you only had cash and traveler's checks. So we ended up calling Fabio Puccinelli, who happened to be in Florence. I think he knew we were going to be there that weekend and stayed in town, to tell you the truth. But mm -hmm. he helped us get passports, helped us. Um, he lent us money. He, he, we asked, uh, he asked where Mama wanted to go. We went to the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And at the end of that evening, we told him about this exciting idea with plates. And he took us at 11 o'clock at night to Tita's house because <laughs> Tita had worked from, was working for Macy's Corporation. And those were the days when all the big department stores, Macy's, Bloomingdale's, Neiman Sachs, Bergdorf's all had very prestigious buying offices. Took us up, knocked on her door. She was still awake. We went in, told her about our dream, and she said, Oh, fabulous designs, but absolutely the worst factory in the world. They're <laughs> late. They never get you things on time. They say yes, they they don't do it, I wouldn't do it. Well, Francis and I took those words as, well, let's give it a try. 
So from that meeting to every time we went to Florence, we would call Tita and then we would go to her house and she was a designer, you know, she she redid all the floors in her villa by painting designs on them. And she had little antique uh, shops that were in some of the, it was called Trompi in the antique area of Florence. And then she opened the smallest retail store in all of Florence that she would sell beautiful old jewelry in. So she was always creative, always thinking, and became this close, close friend forever. And she's now close to 80 years old and has um, Parkinson's and handles it beautifully. And my sister Frances has Parkinson's and they are going on a retreat at a wonderful place in the mountains of, of um, Italy in September that are focused on, you know, health and activity when you have Parkinson's. So the relationships are still there. Oh, what parallels. And I'm so glad that they'll be able to experience that retreat together. And I was looking at her recipes and the carrot and zucchini strudel caught my eye. That looks so good. Well, it's one of my favorites. I have probably made it now a half a dozen times. And it's as good as the picture. And the beauty of it is that it gets really crisp. The dough gets crisp and you wait about, you can wait 10, 15 minutes. And because it's enclosed, the carrots and the zucchini and the cheeses stay hot and it cuts into these perfect slices. So it's it's one of my favorites and and it's easy. So you should try it. Oh, I will. That's the first thing I want to try. There's several others. Um, the fish and crazy water actually caught my eye too because, well, first of all, I, I loved how you took us on a stroll through Positano and shared some of your must stops, but maybe you could tell everybody about your must stops there and Giovanni and fish and crazy water sauce. I'll do it. Well, Positano is one of my favorite places in the world as it is with everyone that goes there because it's this charming town on the water and the main part of town is cobblestoned and the only way to get to the the base of the town is by walking so it's narrow little walkways with shops everywhere and I've probably been there a hundred times. Well, Giovanni was a little bitty boy when I first uh, went, and that's why I um, care about him so much and why I called him the young man of Positano. His uncle, which he called Zio, which is Italian, Zio Enzo, um, ran a couple of uh, ceramic shops. So I was interested. I'd go in and look and think, oh, I wonder where he got this, or is this design a good design? And we became friends, and Enzo would always be there, always helping people, so friendly. And he's now a 30-some-year-old man with a lovely family and a son that looks just like him. And they now have the only three shops of ceramic, and they also are opening a glass shop. And his wife, Bernadetta, runs one of the shops. And 
again, they have a beautiful family and a beautiful life. And one of the meals I've eaten at his home is this fish and crazy water, pesce all'acqua pazza. The wonderful thing about it is it's so easy to make because you take these tomatoes and you take the garlic, the onion, the things that make the base of, of always Italian cooking, and the olives, and you cook it. And then you lay the white fish on top and you add water to the vegetables to the edge of the fish, and then it basically steams the fish. And the water cooks down, and there you have this beautiful uh, dish to serve. And they call it crazy water because you add the water on top of the vegetables, and then it steams. So it's easy and beautiful, and we put it on this plate, all of our photographs are on Beatry product and we put it on this plate that we designed with all the fish going around it so it really is a lovely lovely dish and wonderful to look at as well yeah I mean I, what I love about the book is that the recipes pair so beautifully with the dishware you selected for each photograph and it's it really showcases the best of both best of and the best of the recipes and the food. And it's really a lovely, lovely book. And I'm really enjoying it so much because it reads like a novel as well. And those are my favorite kind of cookbooks oh, when there's a story. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I, you know, what we tried to do was we, we, we wanted, when I talked about a ceramicist, I did it, I, we photographed it on their plates, what we get from them. And then if it's some like a ceramic shop in Positano, we use the plates that we designed that were for him or for that area. So I hope when people see the book, read the book, use the book, they'll see that the recipes are indigenous to that area. They were family recipes for each person I interviewed, many of which I had had at their homes. And that Italian cooking needs to be casual, it needs to be easy, it needs to be around the metaphor or the reality of a table. That what's life about but getting together with people you know and don't know and enjoy eating and cooking if you love to cook and creating that camaraderie of what a table represents in life. So that's kind of the essence that we started Beatry with and the essence of what I hope you feel when you look at this book and read this book. Yeah, it'll be a wonderful way to recreate Italy at home. And I really have to just quickly ask, because you still live in North Carolina, would you say that there are parallels there with the Italian way of entertaining and hospitality? Absolutely. You know, I think for both... Um, when you live in areas that are warm, it's about the outside and bringing the outside inside. And we grew up with farmers markets, just like they have markets in Italy. And we grew up with cooking favorite family recipes or using fresh produce when available. And we also uh, grew up loving people and enjoying 
having people in their home. Uh, people have teased Bill and me sometimes saying we we enjoy having parties when we don't know people as much as we do with knowing people. Uh, because we've had, you know, the two law partners of Bill's and two law firms whose children get married and we have the engagement party and everybody that comes, we don't know, but we have a great time. So I think that's part of the beauty of Italy is people um, love to meet new people. The country thrives on um hospitality and people coming for vacations. It's the number one stopping place this year for Americans going away on vacations. And we felt that way growing up. And I think as Southerners, we feel that way of the curiosity of new people and welcoming people into our lives. So it was always a very comfortable place for me to be. Susan, I could chat with you all day long. Your, your stories are so interesting, and I love all things Italy as well. So, But I have to uh, close things up before I let you go. If you have a few extra minutes, I have some closing questions that I like to ask. Great. What's something that you make when you're too tired to cook? An emergency go-to dinner. <laughs> well, well, honestly, honestly it's easy scrambled, scrambled eggs, eggs and bacon. bacon. Yeah. It's eating bread at, uh, at night. And uh, luckily, my husband Bill loves that, and that's what we do quite often. Or we open up the refrigerator and see what we've got. It could be an omelet with whatever we have inside, and it sometimes could be a great couple of glasses of wine with cheese and crackers. <laughs> oh, that's the best way to eat, too, I think. <laughs> just, it's just some mm. cheese, crackers, charcuterie, right. or you're done. <laughs> What's the one recipe you treasure the most? I think it's a family recipe because one of the things my mother did when she was alive is she hand wrote all of our her family, our grandmother, great grandmother, and her recipes and photographed them for the four children in spiral notebooks in you know those three whole books and so we have this wonderful notebook that's worn and filthy dirty and now I put every page in plastic sleeves of family recipes. So I loved her shrimp curry. It's a cold shrimp shrimp curry dish that uh, it signifies for me summertime. And so that would probably, when I think quickly, that and her um, hot milk cake with my grandmother's chocolate icing. Those would be the two. Wow. What a treasure to have all those recipes preserved. That's something to really keep safe. Are you a messy cook or a neat cook? I think I'm a pretty neat cook in that I'll lay everything out, but I like to kind of clean up while I'm going. I call myself kind of the between. That's kind of my (laughs) office is between two. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, what's a good kitchen ch- tip that you can share? A good kitchen tip. Let's see. Well, I think keep your olive oil in a container that you love and keep it out. We sell these wonderful ceramic olive oil holders, and I get a I get big 
quarts of olive oil and I always fill it up and I always love having it available and easy. So I would say that's my tip of the day. I love that. And because it's ceramic, <laughs> the light won't, uh, yeah. won't get into the olive oil. So that's great. And then every week I try to share five little things, something that made me smile during the week. What's one good thing you experienced this week? Mm, let's see. This week, I have to close my eyes and think about that. I had a surprise visit from a, a friend I hadn't seen in a long, long time yesterday in the office. And that really made me smile because she is a banker now, but worked with me at VHRE years ago. And she just kind of gave me, her daughter's getting married and gave me this great big hug and really wants me to be there for the whole thing. And that meant a lot to me. So that was my happy moment yesterday. Oh, how sweet. I love how you have these special relationships in your life, Susan. It's definitely so touching. And clearly everyone's going to enjoy this book. So where can everyone find you and your cookbook? Well, vietri.com, V-I-E-T-R-I.com. Also, Amazon.com, Books A Million, Barnes & Noble, and also at susangravley.com. That's my new thing. So susangravley.com, you can find them there. Perfect. I'm going to include all those links in the show notes. And thank you, Susan, for spending time with me today. I really, really had fun chatting with you. And I'm going to think of you every time I plate something on one of your Vietri plates. Well, Lauren, thank you. You are something special yourself. And I'm Aww. so glad to have had time with you. Thank you. Okay. Ciao, ciao. Bye. I get the feeling that Susan is one of those people who collects friends wherever she goes. I just love her personality and it was a joy chatting with her. Her book really is such a wonderful memoir of the people who have made Vietri so successful and I am definitely going to make Tita's carrot and zucchini strudel. Thank you again to Susan for joining us today and to you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate it and share it with a friend and join us again next time. Until then, happy cooking. Happy cooking.